Welcome to Bite-Size Battles. Imagine for a second that you're alive 12,000 years ago. Your ancestors have always been hunter-gatherers, nomadic people moving with the seasons and the herds of animals on which you rely for hunting. The human population is so low that there's always plenty to go around. No need for competition. No land is yours. No land is anyone's. The world is free for all to roam at will. But it's hard work all this traipsing around, always having to stalk your next meal which might just escape anyway, or worse, turn around and gore or claw you to death. You're expending huge amounts of energy, constantly hunting just to keep yourself and your small tribe alive. Then one day, one bright spark among you noticed that the wild crops you gathered like peas and barley grew new plants where stray seeds had fallen. So, you decide to try actually sticking some of these seeds in the ground yourself, giving them a little water and protecting them from animals and pests. Well, how about that? Agriculture was born. This is great, you thought. You'll never have to worry about the insecurities of hunting for food again. Except now, you have to give up your nomadic life. The crops fix you and your tribe in place. And suddenly, another group of people show up. Turns out they've tried to grow crops too, but the soil they had wasn't much good, and they couldn't grow anything. Amazed at your abundance, avarice and hungry bellies force them to demand the rich soil on which you rely, the very land on which you now depend. But you were there first. They're your crops. Your land. And so, with the more sedentary existence agriculture brought, suddenly you had something to protect from others who wanted the same thing. Ipso facto, with the birth of agriculture was born a twin. One of the greatest causes of human conflict ever. Welcome to the second episode of Why We Fight. Resources. The course of human history shows, of course, that the fight over resources goes way beyond food and farmland. If you've ever played a game like Sid Meier's Civilization, you'll know that if you want your civilization to win the game, you need access to the key strategic resources. In the game, they're generally iron, coal, oil, aluminium and uranium. In the real world, you can add water, gold, spices, coffee, diamonds, tin, copper, gas, and many, many more. You could trade for some of these, but trade is fickle. It can be interrupted by politics, storms, and pirates. And if you're strong, why bother anyway? Just take the land from which they come, and suddenly they're yours. It's this simple but brutal law that has governed much of human conflict for millennia. Just think of modern Cold Wars, like in the South China Sea, where China is building dozens of artificial islands attempting to bolster its claim to a huge swathe of waters which are also claimed by Vietnam, the Philippines and Malaysia. 
Why? Because it's said to contain vast reserves of mineral and other resources, especially oil. Military control of the South China Sea also guarantees China's control of Southeast Asia's trade and commerce, meaning it also controls another critical resource, wealth. History is practically bursting with other examples. Russia's winter war with Finland in 1939 was over Soviet access to Finnish nickel. The Nazis invaded Russia in 1941 partly to ensure their access to the grain basket of Ukraine and the oil fields of Crimea. Imperial Japan launched their surprise attack on Pearl Harbor to knock out the US Navy long enough for them to acquire an Asia-Pacific empire which could supply them with all the oil and raw materials they lacked in their island homeland. And that's just two years of the 20th century. For one of the best examples, let's go back a little further to the largest empire the world has ever seen. Built and defended for a veritable ocean of highly prized resources. I'm speaking, of course, about the British Empire. The British were late to the empire-building party, being well behind the Spanish and Portuguese, and to a lesser extent, the Dutch. The Spanish annihilated the powerful Native American empires of the Aztecs and Incas in the hunt for gold. Gold. Humans have always loved it, and in this case it brought tragedy to the Native Americans, and in fact to the Spanish economy, which was so flooded by gold that prices rocketed and many of the poorest people could no longer afford to buy food. Britain first set out to get a piece of the empire-building action with colonies in the Caribbean and the Eastern American seaboard in the 17th century. There wasn't much gold, but the British quickly figured out that two crops in particular would be even better. Tobacco and sugar. Plantations sprang up everywhere the Union Jack flew, and indentured servants and slaves were shamefully imported in and sugar and tobacco exported out at huge levels of profit. Had it not been for these profits of sugar and tobacco, we might never have seen the latest spread of the British Empire across the globe. Next came the East India Company and its forays into India, which, after the British victory over the Mughals at the Battle of Plassey in 1757, grew over time into the British Raj. And why? Because spices, textiles, opium, precious stones, and of course, tea. Similar stories unfolded across Africa, the full length of the Americas, East and Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and the South Pacific. And the British were by no means alone. I've already mentioned the Spanish, Portuguese, and Dutch, and to them, you can add the Belgians, Germans and French. The 17th, 18th and 19th centuries were not unusual in this respect either. It's only that European technology had advanced so quickly relative to the rest of the world at this time that it gave them far greater scope than any other empires before to spread and subjugate. Civilizations around the world and throughout all time have done exactly the same thing albeit with more limited means. 
The Aztecs and Incas had done it to build their own empires. The Romans, Mongols, Greeks, Egyptians, Babylonians, Persians, Ottomans and the various Chinese, Indian and Burmese empires have all done the same things for the same reasons. To gain control of resources which can bring self-sufficiency, wealth and power. And once you get your population hooked on the wealth that resources bring, and the luxuries of the resources themselves, like tea and coffee and diamonds, it's very difficult to let them go without forfeiting your positions of power. Which is why so many rulers of so many nations have continually gone to war, because these resources fortify their own positions as monarchs, heads of state and presidents. It's a dangerous game, and one the powers of the world still play all the time. Most of us don't realise the game being played on the geopolitical scale, which we'll cover in more detail in our ninth episode. But consider that it's probably true that the United Nations intervened in the First Gulf War in part to secure and stabilise the world's foremost oil-producing region. Sure, it was about liberating Kuwait, but with an increasingly confident and aggressive Saddam Hussein at the Iraqi helm, oil supplies became at risk and so too did the economies of the world, which are utterly addicted to them. And while it's true that the people of the Falkland Islands have voted nearly unanimously to remain British, it's also true that ownership of the Falklands gives Britain a claim to a share of Antarctica and to the wealthy oil fields of the South Atlantic. Even Iceland was willing to show up for a confrontation with Britain over fishing grounds by extending its territorial waters by 200 nautical miles. And in the future, with climate change rapidly advancing, many forecasters warn of vicious water wars where the growth of desert drives nations to fight over dwindling supplies of the most critical resource of all. In fact, there's trouble already brewing over water between Egypt and Ethiopia, as the latter builds a huge dam in the source tributaries of the famous River Nile. Egypt has threatened war if the dispute cannot be resolved. Resources have always been, and look set to always be, a source of conflict for humans, especially as our global population continues to grow and new middle classes emerge from the poverty of their ancestors across the developing world. We have to hope and demand that our leaders work together to better share the world's most precious resources, to avoid new interstate conflicts, empires and tragedies. Otherwise, history tells us what happens next. Join us next time in this Why We Fight series for the source of some of the most prolonged conflicts of the world, religion. Thanks for listening. See you then.